0: So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Lord Jesus, we honor you. We recognize that we have salvation only because of your grace and mercy to us. And so we sing a thousand and thousands and thousands of hallelujahs. And even before the throne of grace today, the glorious sound of praise continues forever. So we join the the thousands and millions upon millions around the throne. From earth, we come to the throne of grace to say, Lord Jesus, you are worthy of salvation. You have saved us, you've forgiven us, you've blessed us, you've done all for us. And so we are yours. We are your people. We thank you for this time now in worship that we have to hear the word of God. We all need it today. We all need to hear your word. What is it you have to say to us? We are your people. We are your servants. So we pray Lord that you might help us to put aside distractions and may in this room, we allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. May we confess our sin and receive the word of God with gentleness and humility and find in in it the truths today for what we need in our own personal lives. We pray for those who need to be saved. We pray for those who are not believers in Christ who are among us, we pray that you might draw them to Jesus Christ. And we pray for believers who are drifted away and their hearts are cold and they become cynical and they become angry. And may they be drawn back by the love of God to walk with you and to walk in the light and in fellowship with one another in the joy of Jesus. Thank you for this day you've given us now and bless our time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning to you, church, Uh, First Baptist Church. First John chapter 3 is where we'll be. If you're a guest with us here today, I'm Pastor Mike. We're honored to have you. May the Lord bless you. If you are a guest, as Brother Tim mentioned earlier, please let us know you're here. Uh, We're not trying to embarrass you, but if you will fill out some information or contact us online or by phone, however you feel comfortable, we'd love to talk with you. And help you know more about our church. These days we're talking about this very important subject. Brother Scott mentioned it earlier. We've been thinking about blessed assurance. So I'm asking you this question here again this morning. This is a very important personal question for all of you. Are you 100% sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? Are you 100% sure? Can you say, Pastor Mike, no matter what kind of health news I get, no matter what kind of circumstances in my life, if today was a terrible accident, and was the end of my life, I am ready, I am sure, I am saved, I know the Lord Jesus, I'm born again and I'm ready to go to heaven, I'm ready to live for Jesus here on the earth. That's what you want to be able to say. And the reality is the Bible tells us that we can know and have assurance of our salvation. And that's what we've been looking at together already. So let's review for just a moment. And while you have your Bible now, 1 John chapter 3, we'll be reading in just a moment. What are some of the marks of assurance that I am saved? How can I know, Pastor Mike, today that I am saved? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, we saw the first mark of assurance is in verse number 3. 1 John 2, 3. By this we know. By this we know. That we have come to know him. Here's how you know that you know. That's what assurance is. It's knowing that you know him. It's knowing that you know Jesus Christ. It's knowing that you know God. By this we know that we have come to know. If, If we keep his commandments. So today, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, then you will obey the commandments of the Lord Jesus. You will not say, now I like that command of the Lord Jesus and I don't like this one. But you... You don't have a choice in picking which commandments. It is our obligation as followers of Jesus. Those of us who are saved, we have an assurance that we're saved because we obey as sincerely and as thoroughly as we can. we obey the commandments of Jesus Christ and we want to. We desire to do that. Secondly, we learned that another mark of assurance is this and it's in chapter 2 of 1 John verse 29. We looked at it last week. If you know that God is righteous, you know, you see, if you know, you know, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. How can I know that I am born again? Well, it's because I practice and live a righteous life. I obey the commandments of Jesus Christ. But I also practice a lifestyle of righteousness. I'm not one of those who says that I'm born again, but I still live like the world. I still have the same attitudes of the world. I still desire to do the same things of the the world. No, I've followed Jesus and I've now changed my ways and I practice righteousness. And now we come to the third Of these marks of assurance, and it's found here in 1 John chapter 3, uh, in verses 11, 14, and 18. We'll read this whole section now together. So let's hear the word of God. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse number 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain. Who was of the evil one and, sl- and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, Christians, if the world hates you. We, that is we Christians, know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. We love Christians. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know, again, here we read it, we know by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our focus today is this. Here's our focus, the, the, uh, the things around it, which I'll make my comments. Assurance of salvation is experienced in love for other people, especially love for other Christians. We do have commandment and responsibility to love the world and to love those who hate us and to love our enemies. But today, especially, we talk about this very important mark of being a Christian. I am assured of salvation because I love God's people. If I love God's people, then there is a mark. There is something that shows a difference in my life. You see, none of us were made to love people. We love ourselves. When you're born into this world, you love yourself. And quickly, you see when you live in the world like we live in today, oh, the best thing to do is if somebody does you wrong, you hate them. You hate them the rest of your life. You carry a grudge. You teach it to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You just pass on the hatred from one generation to another. And if they look different, if they speak different, if they believe different, you hate them. But today we're talking about followers of Jesus. This is such an important truth for all of us today. There's nothing that means more to us as followers of Jesus than to experience the love of God's people for us. This is my desire as your pastor of First Baptist Church, that we would be a people uh, that love one another as the Lord Jesus has expressed it to us. And when we don't, when we're not loving to one another, then we're disobeying the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are three observations that I want us to look at today, and if you keep your Bible open, we'll look at a number of places today, and I hope you'll do that with me. Number one, in verse number 11, we read these words, for this is the message which you heard from the beginning. And if you're here today, and you've been hearing gospel preaching any time in your life, you've heard this message over and over, and now you hear it again today in the gospel preaching that's being done today. This is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another we should this is what we should be doing as a church loving one another so loving one another is the command of Jesus Christ number two we read in verse number 14 we know you see this is a mark of assurance this is something you put when you're saved the Holy One has come into your life the Holy Spirit and you have a knowledge of things you didn't have before you have a supernatural knowledge from the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you know things you didn't know when you were an unbeliever. We know, believers know, that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So the second thing we'll see here for a moment together is loving one another is an evidence that I am not dead in my sins anymore, but I am fully alive and I'm born again. What is the evidence that I've come to life in Jesus? Why all of a sudden I look around to those who are followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love those dear people. Then we see the last uh, observation in verse number 18. Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue but indeed and in truth. And so loving one another is genuine self-sacrifice for others like Jesus. That's why it says you do it in deed and truth. You do it genuinely. You love other Christians with a genuine heart. You do it sincerely. You do it genuinely. You do not put it on as a show. You don't do it as a hypocrite because it's expected of you, you want to love other believers in Christ. This is quite an important task for us. This is quite an important responsibility. And so we remember, first of all, that the Lord Jesus gave this command when he was washing feet. John chapter 13 is where it comes from, a new commandment. The Lord said to the disciples after he'd washed their feet, he had done the most base job He'd done what the servants do in the ancient world when they clean up the feet of people who are coming to recline at tables. They would recline when they ate. They did not sit at the table in chairs. And so they washed their feet as they came off of those dusty roads. It was the task of the basically the lowest ranking slave wash the feet of the guests as they come in. And the Lord Jesus takes off his garment. He doesn't do it uh, to To act out something. He doesn't do it to display his righteousness. They've come together. They've just come off of these dusty roads. And what does he do? He takes off his outer garment. Wraps it around his waist. And he's kneeling before those 12 disciples. Including the betrayer. The deceiver. The liar. The thief. Judas. And he washes their feet. And then when he gets up he says... I've done this as an example to remind you of what you're to do for each other. Be each other's slave. If you're a Christian, be the slave to other Christians. And then he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Oh, this is a new commandment. The Old Testament law would speak of loving, as the Lord Jesus reminds us, love your neighbor, somebody you like. But it... It did not really speak about love in this way. now the Lord's demonstrating it. And he's saying, look, this is a new commandment. This is the first and newest commandment. This is the new commandment I give you. The Lord Jesus Christ gave this commandment to the church. And he says, do it like I've done it. So we love others like Christ loves us. We do it in a Christ-like way. This love of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is is a special kind of love. This is not friendship love. This is sacrificial love. This is love that costs you something. This is love that will take your time. This is love that will take your resources and your money. This is love that will will take the place of you being first, you being the most important. This is self-sacrificing love. So I want us now, keep your finger right here in 1 John. Most of you, I'm so glad this church, our people bring their Bibles, you're serious about it. I want you to turn over to a very famous place in your Bible. Stay right there in 1 John 3. We'll go back in just a moment. But I want us to all make sure. I want everybody here, boys and girls, uh, teenagers, students, and all of us here, let's remember what real love looks like. And Paul defines it for us. This is a familiar chapter in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. Go over there and find 1 Corinthians 13. I won't stay here long, but I'm going to reread these words to us because I want First Baptist Church Dixon to be on record as having heard these words and being reminded of what John is saying here as he reminds us of this love we're to have for one another. The Lord Jesus uses this same word. Most of you know it's the word agape. It is a self-sacrificing love. First Corinthians 13, now you've had time to find it. Look at verse number four. Love, the kind of love that we're to have for one another in God's family, is patient. The love we're to have for one another is kind. The love we're to have for one another doesn't express jealousy. The love we're to have for one another is not boastful. We're not bragging to each other about how great we are. It's not arrogant. It's not filled with pride. The love we're to have for one another is not unbecoming. We don't act in an unbecoming way. And it's not It's not not seeking its own. We don't do what we do so that we get something out from somebody else. And it's not provoked. You can't make this kind of love angry. You can't provoke this kind of love. No matter how bad, no matter how ugly, no matter how rude or how mean-spirited somebody is towards you, this kind of love cannot be provoked. That's quite an astounding statement. And it does not take into account wrong suffered. Wait a minute. There are no lists that you make with certain people saying, okay, they're on the list. No more with them. No more talking to them. Ignoring them is what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn away from them. Oh, there's no list making. There's no list making for those in the church toward one another, even though you may have been hurt by somebody in the church. No lists. No list is what Paul's saying. We don't take account. Oh, well, you don't know what they did to me, Pastor Mike. Oh, you don't know what they said to me. You don't know how they treated me. This kind of love does not take account wrong and does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And this kind of love in the church rejoices with the truth. And here's these four great statements in verse 7. This kind of love bears all things. This is what First Baptist Church must do. This this kind of love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. That is what the Lord Jesus is saying here. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. Take that list in First Corinthians. Put it in your mind. Let the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a Christian, bring it to your attention the next time someone in the church offends you or hurts you. You see this whole issue of the power of Christian love is so necessary in our world today, folks. I don't have to stand up here today and give you examples of the hatefulness and hatred in the world. It's everywhere. It is that which is, it infects the youngest of children. They learn words of hatred from their parents and their grandparents and from their friends. And all of a sudden these dear sweet children, though they have a sin nature, their impressions are being made upon and they learn how to be haters. They learn how to speak evil of other people and treat people in a harmful way. Well they learn it from sadly in the church there's some of this that goes on and has for many years. But I remind you, I'm not going to go long here, but I'm gonna remind you of something that's astounding. When the when the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ started sharing the gospel around the world, they were doing this during the time of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was lasted over twelve hundred years in some form or fashion. It wasn't always at its greatest, but it was Controlling the world, the known world of that time, for 1,200 years is a long time. The brutality of the Roman government, you see, their way of controlling the world, their way of peace was to put their boot on your neck and make sure you submit it. And if you didn't, we kill you and yours and all of your stuff. We take it and it becomes ours. And the better thing would be for you and your tribes to join us rather than us destroy you in a world filled with violence like we cannot imagine you think the world's violent today some of you need to go back and look at your history books and read of the violence and the horror and the the terror the reign of terror of the roman world but in the midst of that godless hatred the gospel spread all over the world and the reports that were given by these Pagan observers to the kings and emperors of Rome about Christians was quite interesting. I'll just quote a few. Here are observations from pagans about Christians in the first century. One wrote to the emperor and said, Their lawgiver, they're referring to the Lord Jesus, Their lawgiver has persuaded them that they are all brothers. Their lawgiver has persuaded them that they're all family. Interesting that he would know that. Where did he learn it? He learned it from believers. Another wrote, Christians, they love one another even before they know each other's names. If they know that they are Christians, they are loved. Even if they're strangers, they know that they are loved. That's part of that old thing we've learned about the the fish, the sign of the fish. What did the Christian do? Well, one believer would draw apart the, the upper part of the fish on the ground. And the other, if they were a believer, would see it and close it. And there was the fish to remind them, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because there were quite hostile days when you could not speak the name of Jesus or you'd be arrested and killed. And others said, see how these Christians love one another. And how, listen, this is a quote now from a Roman A Roman. See how these Christians love one another and how they are ready to die for each other. And that Roman had seen that. When one Christian would take the place of another to be fed to the lions. Or burned. Or burned or crucified. Or hung in a basket over fire or boiled in oil and I could go on. One of the early church fathers, Tertullian, said, speaking about the surprise of the pagan world about Christians, he said that they are surprised beyond measure because they are accustomed to such hatred of one another. They are surprised that one man would be ready to die for another. I I just ask you today... Does that sound like the love of Christians for one another in the world today? Oh, we, 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 we pick each other off. We, we criticize each other. We attack each other. We speak. Uh, we minimize others. We No, this is quite different, you see. This is a group of people who were... So close that the words of the Lord Jesus echoed in their minds, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Secondly, loving one another is an evidence of eternal life. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love. You see, this is, we love the, the brethren. When you get saved, nobody says, okay, now the first lesson in discipleship, Mike, is for you to start loving these people that you've hated. Nobody tells you that. When you get saved, all of a sudden, you know what you say? I don't think I want to run with these old people I used to run with. I think I want to go to church. I think I want to go to the church house. I think I want to go be with those people. You want to go be with those people? You're going to go be with those crazy, boring people? You're not going to run with us? You're not going to do what you used to do? says all the lost friends to those who are believers. You see, believers have this assurance because all of a sudden they have a love for others that they've never had before. All of a sudden they love people that seem to be so insignificant to the world and out of it. They seem to be people who have separated themselves from the world, but they love it. You see, love is the primary evidence of being born again. It is, the, it is I am convinced, it is that first fruit, it is that first element That demonstrates you're saved. That's why Paul said when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Starts right there. The primary grace of the Spirit is love. Love reveals that we have faith in Christ. Paul goes on, Galatians 5, 6. He says, faith works through love. You see, if I'm saved, it works because I love God, but I also love those who are the family of God. Paul said, I didn't read it at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, but he said the primary Christian graces, you know what they are? Faith, hope, and love. The primary Christian graces, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of those, the greatest of those is love. This becomes very important for us because believers love the children of God with an unending love. That's why Peter said, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love is, covers a, multitudes of, a multitude of sins. The old preacher Watson said, the best way to know grace in yourself is to love grace in others. I like that. The best way to know grace in yourself is to love grace in others. And faith, he says, knits us to Christ and love knits us to each other. You see, believers are sisters And brothers adopted into the family of God. It's right here in this chapter. It's right here before you on the page of your Bible. First John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us who are Christians that we would be called children of God. So I was thinking about how I could say this to you and give you a testimony of why I love God's people. So I'm going to depart just for a moment before I go back to the outline. I've spent my life, I'm one of the blessed ones. I really mean that. Yeah, I don't even know a time when I was conscious in my life where I wasn't uh, up there at the Baptist church. I guess I've slept in the Baptist crib. I've slept, I've eaten all the Baptist uh, vacation Bible school cookies and I've drank all kinds of Baptist Kool-Aid at VBS and I've gone on the mission trips and I've worked on in the bus ministry and I love it all I'm sad for some who have not been blessed like this. But those of you who are here with children, maybe one day they stand and give a testimony like I'm giving you here. You see, I was among the people in Midwest City, Oklahoma, who they shared the gospel with me. They discipled me. They tolerated my insane teenage behavior. They helped me. They loved me. You see, there's no group of people. There's no group of people. And I... Sincerely mean this. I would, I would, I would rather associate with God's people if there's four of them, than 400 godless people who don't care about God. You see, um, the the privilege of loving each other. is greatly overlooked in the church today. It's been my honor to see God's people at their best and at their worst. You see, there's nothing more of a privilege than those of you who are saved to be in the family of God. But perhaps you've forgotten that. This is just like a crowd that goes to the ball game to you. It's not like the crowd that goes to the ball game. It's not like the crowd that goes to the concert. It's not like the crowd that you used to run with when you hated God and all you wanted to do was live for yourself and fulfill your selfish desires. You see... I'll rattle through this quick. I love God's people because God first loved me and gave me the capacity I would have never had on my own to love God's people. They're loved by God. I love God's people because they're loved by God. They're chosen by God. I love God's people because Jesus Christ lives within them and they are spirit filled. They obey God's commands. They desire to do it above everything else. I love God's people because... They are spirit gifted. I love god 's people because they are holy ones. They're saints. I love god's people because they practice righteousness. I love god 's people because they have a beauty about them. This is far more you, some of your, some of us are beautiful, and some of us are ugly, right? Okay, well, don't worry about that. You see, there's one way we 're all beautiful. we're beautifully holy. we 're beautifully holy. There's a beauty to that. I love God's people because they're a part of a holy nation. And I'm surrounded this morning by royal priests. You see, they're God's people. They worship in spirit and in truth. There's nothing that... You don't see anything like you've been seeing in this place today out there in the world. There's nothing like it. You ought to treasure it every time you're here. You see, I love God's people. They're my family. I've I've got a big family, but uh, my blood family doesn't compare to the God's forever family that I get to be a part of. Some already in heaven, many of us here, and others until Jesus comes who will join. What What an unbelievable thought. The millions upon millions of those who are a part of the family of God. And if you're saved, you're part of that family. You see, they're my friends. They lift up the broken. They share the gospel. They teach the word of God. They make disciples. They give of themselves and their possessions. I love God's people because they are a preserving presence in the world. Don't you ever forget that. That's what's going on in the world today. We're the light, we're the salt. They are the light of the world. They are gracious to all, they are loving to all. They are kind to all. They are patient to all. They bear up under all things. They believe the best in all things. They endure in all things. They hope in all things. And they, they encourage in every circumstance. They serve anyone. That's why I love God's people. They're genuinely authentic. They're no longer trying to impress anybody. They're not trying to be somebody that they're not. They love the other brothers and sisters in Christ, old and young. The young love the old and the old love the young and everywhere in between. And they will live forever. I'm in a room filled with people who have endless life. That's why I love God's people. So I say to you today that love for one another is an evidence of eternal life. That's my testimony. What's yours? Do you love God's people? You know the old joke. I've told the joke around here. You know, the the wife goes in there and tells her husband, hurry up and get up. It's Sunday morning. It's time to go to church. And the old boy lays in his bed and says, well, I don't want to go up there to the church house today. They're all mean to me up there at that church house. No, you got to get up. It's time to go. We got to go to church. No, I don't want to go up there to the church house. Some of those people don't even want to see me or talk to me. I don't want to go up there. And finally, after all this going on and on, as wives can be, she says, Hurry up and get your britches on. You got to go to church. You're the preacher. (laughs) Maybe you have the same opinion. There's a famous Bible teacher whose materials are outstanding. It's such an irony in his life that at the end of his life, he didn't go to church anymore. He just stayed home and read his Bible and prayed and had no association with God's people. I I just cannot wrap my head around that. I'll just stay at the house. I'll just go out here to the park, as I've been told. Here, in, in this living here. Beautiful park. I can worship better with the birds and squirrels than all of those rascals up at the church. Really? Are you serious? Who made you better than all of those people up there at the church? Oh, you know more about the Bible? You know theology? You know words? You know. You see, loving one another, dear friends, is genuine self sacrifice. That's what it is, it's not talk. It's not just a text. It's not just a call. It's not just a card. And I'm not belittling that. It's not just a pat on the back. But you see, when we demonstrate Christian love for somebody else, you genuinely do it because you're doing it like Jesus did it for you. And oh, by the way, like others have done for you. That's why I was standing here trying to say with my emotion how how grateful I am for those who've loved me when I was my own problem and still am. You see, Paul said it this way. He said in Romans 12.10, I'm about to finish here. Love one another with brotherly affection. That's Romans 12.10. How about this? Love one another with family love. You know, what's the old saying? Blood is thicker than water. Ah, you can't separate them if they're brothers and sisters. They're going to always cover for each other. Okay. What's wrong with that? Oh, they're going to always make up an excuse. Well, their brother didn't really mean to do that. Well, their sister didn't really mean What's wrong with that? You see, brotherly love or family love is transparent. Look, my sisters, I'm not going to bring them in here. I'm never going to have them stand up here in front of you. My sisters could all tell you lots of things about me. My kids could tell you lots of things about me. And God help her, Pat could tell you all kinds of things about me. But we all live together. When you live together, you you see everything, don't you? Warts and all. Wrinkles and all. You see the best and you see the worst in the family. When you go to church, you see the best and you see the worst because none of us are perfect. We're still seeking to walk with God. And so somebody's put it down and made a mark. You see, family love is transparent. Family love is accepting. You see, the family says, well, I still love you even though you behave in this way. Family love is forgiving. Family love is helpful. Let me help you. Family love is protecting. Family love is sacrificial. Family love is fondness. You know, in our family, we got all kinds of nicknames for people. Do your family have nicknames for people? That's fondness. You know, I got a grandson whose name's Stick. Stick. I remember saying at one time we were with some other People, and they said, why in the world would you call your grandson Stick? I said, well, it's a secret. Only the family knows. (laughs) Fondness. You you make up a name. Some of you have nicknames. And some of us know your nicknames. You better be careful we don't call you by it. (laughs) Watchfulness. What What does family love? You look out for each other. Hey, why are you doing that? Hey, you need to stop doing that. Hey, you need to quit that. Family love is patient, as we've seen in love, but family love has an expectation. They're in my family. I may not appreciate the way they are, but I'm still, blood is thicker than water. And you, you who are Christians here today, your family, your family linkage is to the blood of Jesus Christ. And blood is thicker than water. Amen. Amen. So we practice genuine love. If I smile and say, man, God bless you. And then I go to the house while you're drowning. Well, I've not shown the love of Christ. What did John say to us here? He said in verse 17 of chapter 3, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. Have you ever closed your heart toward another Christian? How can the love of God abide in Him? If you close your heart, how can you say God's love is in you? You might think you're religious, but if you don't love people, you're still in your sins and you're still dead in your sins, John says. It's quite a statement. Paul said, this is an astounding statement, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Now, this is a Jewish Christian writing to a Gentile church, Thessalonians, first of many churches in Europe. And I want you to listen to these astounding words as we finish because they remind us of this power of love. Jews and Gentiles in the ancient world never were really people to get along. The same ethnic issues continue to this day. Between Jews and Gentiles. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Having so fond an affection for you. Do you have a fond affection for all the people of First Baptist Church? Well, I don't know them all. Well, maybe you should get to know some more. You got your pals and your buddies. But there's a whole lot of people who are part of this church. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, listen to this, but also our lives. Because you had become very dear to us. I remember studying these words one time in a Bible state, not here at this church, with a group of men. And there was just a fellow that got so agitated about this thing of loving uh, other Christians and he said, well, what's the limit pounded on the table? What's the limit? How much am I supposed to love them? Why, well, there's some people in this church and boy, he went on this. He needed to say it. And I'm glad he said it in the Bible study. There's some people in this church. I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done. And how much is enough? When do you got to finish? I said, I don't think you ever do finish. You mean you never finish? No. If someone comes to you, the Lord said, and asks you for something, if they ask you for your coat, just go ahead and take your shirt off and give them that too. If somebody says, look, I need you to go a mile down the road with me. I got some stuff. I got, I got to have some help. You just go on, go two miles. Freely give to whoever asks you and do not worry about asking, when are you going to return it? And do unto others as you would have them do to you. What are the limits of your love for the other believers in this church? You got limits? That's it. I'm only going to go that far. I'm not going to do any more. I've done all I can do. Well, aren't you glad for the people who didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad for the people who kept on going and putting up with you? You see, this is is Christian love. This is why this verse is so very important to us in verse 16. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I don't come in here feeling all good about myself. I come in here with my feelings and desires to say, what do these dear people need? That's our attitude. What do they need? How can I serve them? How can I help them? How can I minister to them? How can I care for them? How can I get them to the right resources to help them in their circumstance? So what do we remember today? Believers, number one, have in them the love of Christ, which makes them love others. You see, you'll never love other people on your own. Because (laughs) because when you love other people, you have to die to yourself. No self-centered person loves anybody else, except for what they can get out of the relationship. And that's not love, that's deceit. Loving God demonstrates that I'm born again. So wait a minute, some of us might have a list today. You've got that list in your mind. In fact, you may have, you may have been so embittered to it, you've written it on a piece of paper. You've got, you got names. At some point, this Christian disappointed you. You, you, lo- you, in fact, you, you enjoy sometimes just relishing in how they treated you because you like having the feelings of hatred for them. No Christian can live like that long. The Holy Spirit's going to come and say, "This is not your way. It is your way to show love and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness." You see, self-sacrificing love for others kills self-centeredness in me. And finally, I say to you, church, we want to be witnesses for Christ. I read it to you at the beginning. This is an astounding thought. Because of the love that the Romans saw the Christians express for each other, they were willing, some of them, to learn about who Jesus Christ is. It took them demonstrating love for each other to reveal to a pagan godless world, United States of America and all across the planet, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you know your Bible, no. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. So we have a lot to think about today. The question is, in your heart, in your your life, is there a joy? Is there a relish? Is there a pleasure? And I can say it that way. Is there a pleasure that you have that replaces so many other things that you'd rather be among the people of God than the people of the world at any time and that you truly, truly desire to love God's people like Jesus has loved you. Well, that is a mark of assurance. And as John says to us as we close, we know that we have passed out of death into life because of We love the brethren. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord Jesus is near the door and we pray, come Lord Jesus.